This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. So the first thing is get to know your body. Um, Take a mirror, like with a picture, and look at your parts, learn your parts. I mean, once you understand your body, you really do understand your own pleasure more and why you like what you like. Welcome to FemPower Health. Georgie here. In the journal Sex Roles, there was a study published that examines the orgasm gap, which is a well-established phenomenon where men climax substantially more often than women during heterosexual sex. So why is it that we women put less emphasis on the importance of orgasms for our sexual satisfaction compared to men? That is what we are here to discuss today with the author of Becoming Clitorate, Dr. Lori Mintz. Not only is she a professor, but she also works with couples around this issue. And so today we are going to talk about why it's an issue, but also giving you the tools and resources so that you can have the pleasure that you deserve. So let's start the conversation. Hi, my name is Dr. Lori Mintz, and I'm very excited to be here on this podcast. I am a professor at the University of Florida, where I teach the psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of students a year. I'm also a licensed psychologist and a certified sex therapist in private practice, and I am a speaker, having given recently a TEDx talk And I'm the author of two books, both aimed at empowering women sexually and both with published studies showing that women who read them enhance their sexual functioning. A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex and Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. Thank you so much. And these books are incredible. I still need to read the one about the busy woman's guide for sure, because uh, I'm sure we can all use that. But this time we're focusing on becoming clitorate. And, you know, I guess one of the questions that I did have before we dive into the, the questions I'd emailed you is where we are based on for, from generations, right? Because you're teaching students who are at the University of Florida, so they're going to be younger college age students. Um, And then I'm of an older generation, which is so weird to say because I don't feel that way, but I actually graduated where you're teaching right now in 1996. And so as I was reading this book, I I was like, I have to ask her about this. Like, have, have things just not changed all that much? Well, you know, it's a really interesting question because I'm older, I'm in my 60s. And when I kind of was growing up or my, you know, sexual coming of age was really during the time when we knew about women's pleasure. We knew about the clitoris. Um, There was a lot of talk about female sexual pleasure and empowerment. 
And so when I started teaching college students about 11 years ago, which was the inspiration for this book, I was shocked because it seemed to me that a whole generation of knowledge had been lost to young women because, and it may be because of porn images without sex ed to correct them. Um, lots of reasons that might be, but things had gone backwards in my estimation. And in fact, when I went to kind of sell my book around to agents and editors, I had two distinct reactions to it based on age. People of my generation were like, why do we need this book? This is common knowledge. Like our bodies, ourselves, we learned this in the 60s. And then younger women saying, oh my gosh, this is radical. So I do think there was a generational um, difference, but I'm not the first one to document that knowledge of the clitoris, knowledge of women's pleasure has sort of come and gone, come and gone over generations. The last point I'll make is I am happy to say in the last couple of years, I see students coming in my class more informed than they were, say, 10 years ago, although still a long, long way to go. Thank you. Now, I wanted to clarify that because I know your book, it's not like it's a book from 30 years ago. It is you know, fairly recent. And so um, as I was reading it, I'm like, I wonder how much of this is applicable depending on your age. So, And it's interesting because when I went on social media to have people share what their questions were, it was interesting because there are different generations who shared similar questions. So I think that validates um, what you're saying. So I wanted to share um, a couple of quotes just to give people a sense of what we'll be discussing and some really interesting points that you made in the book that I think are really good summaries. So one is, for those who are faking your orgasms, you made a really interesting point here, which is by faking, you are training your partner on precisely what doesn't work for you. And by the way, we aren't necessarily saying if you don't orgasm, it's bad sex, but I think that still is an important point because so many women do fake. And then there's another one, which is you can't touch your clit one way during solo sex and then ignore this during partnered sex. And I just think these are two really interesting points about what we may know about our body, but then not sharing it with our partners. And I think that also creates a gap. And you spoke a lot about that in the book. So I don't know if you want to just start by reacting to a couple of these quotes. Sure. I mean, I, I, in this, I've talked to women of all generations um, who fake. I, I once talked to a woman who I gave a workshop to the lay public who raised her hand and said, okay, I get it now, but I've been faking for 30 years. What do I do? I mean, the research is really, really clear about 70% of women fake. And when asked why they fake, their top reasons are to appease their partner's ego or to avoid appearing abnormal. Although being bored or not, or having bad sex or painful sex is another reason to make it end. But in terms of those two about not appearing abnormal and appeasing their partner's ego, they go hand in hand because media images, which are false, show very little fooling around. The man puts his penis in the vagina and the woman has this instantaneous orgasm from penetration alone. 
And we know that only 18, about 18% of women orgasm from penetration alone, and only 4% say it's their most reliable route to orgasm. So most faking is occurring during intercourse because the woman doesn't know this, thinks she should be orgasming this way. And men think so too, because they've been misguided by these images. And so they think they should be giving a woman an orgasm by thrusting hard, lasting long. And there's even research showing that their sense of masculinity depends on that. So it's appeasing to their partner's ego, but it doesn't serve anyone because as I said, it teaches your partner to do what doesn't work for you. And it and, and, and by not faking, by sharing what works for you, you're more likely to have pleasure and orgasm. And you're right, orgasm, you don't have to orgasm every time you have sex. And, you know, the pressure to have an orgasm is contraindicated for orgasming. But when so many women are faking and there's this huge orgasm gap, it points to a larger problem. And, you know, by sharing with your partner what you want, you also help him. It takes the pressure off of him. And so that is that quote. The second quote was, you can't touch your clit one way during solo sex and ignore this during partnered sex. Right. Okay. So this one is so important and it's, you know, the most underutilized advice for female pleasure and orgasm is to get the same type of stimulation you get alone. Research clearly tells us that when women are alone, less than 2%, like about 1.2%, in, in fact, um, just a little above 1% stimulate themselves exclusively by using vaginal penetration. The rest use external vulva clitoral stimulation, either alone or coupled with penetration. Yet with, with male partners, there's this disconnect. I've talked to so many women who know what to do alone, but they don't transfer that to partner sex. They somehow assume they'll need something different with a partner and they ignore clitoral stimulation and revolve the whole encounter around penetration and male orgasm. What I love about your book is in the beginning, and this is why I wanted to start this way, is to say, okay, everyone, here's all this misinformation that we have, and then let's start with what do we do with it. And even in your book, you shared so much research and data around even language that we use and just all the little things that build upon each other to have brought us to where we are today. And by the way, I, I really enjoyed, um, I remember when I first opened your book and it was all the chapters listed and the creative way you named the chapters. I loved it, all the, the play on words. So thank you for adding that. Oh, thank you <laughs> thank so you for much. Adding that Thanks. To it. Yeah, I wanted to write it for fun. I wanted it to be a fun read as well as an empowering and accessible read. And one thing I, I will also say, I loved the research on how one can even become educated about their own body, because I know, generally speaking, why I started this podcast is I feel like we women, there's so many foundations that we don't understand because we're not taught. Even the information that's out there, like even you were mentioning the magazine articles where it's what's the best position to have sex in. And, you know, people wonder how many times a week should I be having sex for it to be the right thing? And, and all of these questions. And you have an entire chapter or a section of a chapter dedicated to 
walking a woman through learning her own body and what turns her on. And I will say that there were things I learned about my own body that I didn't know by going through this book. And I'm, you know, almost 50 years old. And yeah, so that was extremely helpful. So for women who even want to get the book just for that section, um, I think it was extremely helpful. And so I thank you for for providing that information as well. Well, that makes me so happy that that even someone as educated as you and at your age could learn. And I think we all have so much to learn. I mean, I wrote the book and I still am learning new things. There's so much to learn and we have been given so little information. You know, it's one of these things where I, I will say this, when when I've been with men, one, I always assumed guys just know what to do. So they're going to teach me. So that was one assumption that I had had. Another is... I don't know what I don't know. So like, I know, cause I always had heard women should tell a man what she needs. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it because I don't know why sometimes this turns me on and sometimes it doesn't, or I don't know how to explain what I need. And I don't know why in that instance it worked and this one, it doesn't. And so um, I'd love to get your, your reaction to that as well. And I think what you're speaking to is, that men can't know unless they're told. And here's why, because every woman's vulva, there is a study of cadavers, which really speaks to this. And the way the nerves are positioned are a bit different across everyone's vulva. So someone might like a little more stimulation to the right of their clit, to the left, another woman. And also what we want in each encounter, it varies based for younger women on their menstrual cycle, for all women by stress, how distracted they are, how they're feeling that day, so many things. And so communication is needed on an ongoing basis. And it's not just one time. It's not like telling or showing one time. And, and you know, I do have a whole chapter on communication and there's a section in there about clitoracy chats where I say like, it's really, it is really hard to explain. So there's lots of ways you can do it. You can show, you can do it yourself and have their hand on top of yours or their hand on top of your hand as you hold the vibrator. And it's every woman needs something a little different. And it's, I also really want to emphasize that it is no less partner sex. It's when a woman has to use her hand or chooses to use her hand or her vibrator on her own vulva during, before, or after intercourse while her partner is either having intercourse with her or touching her, also holding her, kissing her. I know many, many women who that is the way they orgasm during partner sex. And I really want to emphasize there's no wrong or shame in that. And it's not less sex that way. That was also very interesting because I actually did an episode with Dr. Rachel Rubin about orgasms and it all stemmed from someone contacting me saying, I can only orgasm when I'm not with my partner. That's what's, you know, caused me to do this episode. Cause I'm like, you know, I have a lot of questions about orgasm and it was really interesting to hear you saying, maybe that's just how some women operate. So there isn't necessarily something wrong in the relationship. And so, um, so thank you for sharing that. And for those who are feeling uncomfortable 
with speaking to their partner, I do want to share this other quote that you put in the book, which I think sums it up in a different way that, than we may think of it, which is, this is the person who touches your most intimate parts. And it is true, they are, but that yet sometimes we're afraid to say what we need. Talk to us about that. Yeah, there's so many people I work with who say, I can't talk about sex. It's too intimate. It's too scary. And yet they can engage in this intimate act. And I get it. I really do. And I have a lot of empathy because we're never we're taught sex is secret, dirty, all these negative things. And we're not taught communication skills. So that compounds the fear. And then also a lot of people feel ashamed because they don't have information about what they want, what they need. So they're fearful to expose that. It's like, oh no, that's gonna, you know, expose me as weird or a freak. And so, but what I like to do, and I'm also, but along with being a therapist and a writer, I'm also a scientist. So I like to use science to make my points. You know, uh, there's a lot of great scientists researching this stuff. And the science is very, very clear that um, couples who communicate, their, women who communicate their sexual needs are more orgasmic. And couples who talk about sex have better sex. So really encourage people. It's kind of the metaphor of like you're standing at the edge of the diving board and you're terrified of going off because you think it's going to be a very cold, uncomfortable plunge. But most times there's great relief on the other partner's part about talking about sex as well. You know, I looking back at, at my life when I was reading that chapter about the communication, I was thinking back and I'm like, honestly, the, the most amazing sexual partner that I've ever had, the communication was unreal. And what was also interesting, though, is, again, because I didn't know what I didn't know, and this was before I read your book, I'm like, I don't know what I like or don't like. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not sure how this starts. Like, I wasn't sure. And this person clearly brought me out of my shell and helped me see things that I never thought I would enjoy. But, but at the end of the day, the communication, we could talk about absolutely anything to a little bit of detail, great detail. Um, and it, it truly like, and it helped me think, oh goodness, now I see why it was so great because you're right. The communication was there. So for anyone who's a little nervous, yes, do the talking and communication because it really is, it can be mind blowing. It really is. Um, I had a client after she learned this, I love this line. She said, communication is the bedrock to make your bedrock. I like that. <laughs> you wrote in the book, the better the sex, the less hookup regret. Exactly. And that's based on science too. Um, research on hookup sex. But, and you know, both men and women have regret, but that regret is much less when the sex is better. So I often say to my students, we know the orgasm gap is the biggest in hookup sex and women are most dissatisfied in hookup sex. So you know, do something especially to, you know, empower yourself so you do have a good time and you don't have regret. So we understand these facts, right? You've, you've shared the research, but how can women really discover this healthy relationship? Like it's one thing for us to be talking about it, but how do we actually get there? What are the steps that women can take? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with educating yourself like you're doing, listening to this podcast about women's most reliable route to pleasure. 
And then I'll, I think I'll, the steps in the book, I'll just list them because I think they're all very important. And I didn't make them up. They're all based in the sex therapy literature of what helps women. So the first thing is get to know your body. Um, take a mirror, like with a picture and look at your parts, learn your parts. I mean, once you understand your body, you really do understand your own pleasure more and why you like what you like. So learn about your body, take a look at your vulva. And a lot of us have vulva, poor vulva self-image, especially people who consume porn. And I'm not anti-porn, but it's not education. And just like men are chosen for having extra large penises and porn, women are often chosen for having even and petite inner lips or have had a surgery. So first get to know your body. Then work with your mind. And there's two things with your mind. One is thinking sex positive thoughts outside of the bedroom. We both all have these internalized shame, negative messages. And then when having a sexual encounter, use mindfulness. That's putting your mind and body in the same place. And it's not that easy. You have to practice it in your daily life and then apply it to the bedroom. And it's there's so much research on mindful sex helping women reach arousal orgasm because you're you're tuned into your body and then the next step is masturbation self-pleasure that's actually the most empirically supported technique that sex therapists use when helping women orgasm for the first time take time to pleasure yourself get a vibrator get lube vulvas aren't meant to be touched dry I try different ways, you know, and then this is the tricky part because all those steps usually lead to a woman having an orgasm on alone, alone, but then we have to transfer it to partner sex. And there's two ways to do that. And one is communication. What we just talked about talking about sex before outside of the bedroom, during, after, um, communicating. And then the other is changing what researchers call the cultural scripts for sex. And by that, I mean, the way we see sex scripted in the movies, etc., is foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse, male orgasm, sex over. And of course, I'm speaking here about heterosexual sex. Um, but then changing the scripts is inclusive of all types of sex. We know lesbian sex, sex between two women is more orgasmic, not just because of, of more of a focus on external stimulation, a lot of turn taking, no trying to orgasm at the same time. So maybe oral sex during which she comes, intercourse during which he comes or oral sex turn taking or she comes second, enough fooling around and arousal that penetration is pleasant and not painful he has an orgasm and then use your vibrator on yourself. Or if you want to come during the same act, such as during intercourse, use your hands or vibrator on yourself during or buy a couple vibrator. They have cock rings with attached clitoral vibrators, for example. So changing those scripts up. So those are all the ways to become more empowered and more pleasure and more orgasm during partner sex. And I am focusing a lot on heterosexual sex, not because I want to ignore sex between two women, but because that's where women are having problems.
And also share with us um, real quick the data for how long on average it takes for men to orgasm versus women, because I think that also plays a role in changing it up. Yeah. So when alone, this is fascinating to me, both women and men usually orgasm in about four minutes. We know what to do when alone. When men are with women, there's a multinational study of over 10,000 men and the average amount of time that they took to orgasm from the time they put their penis in a vagina until they ejaculated was 5.4 minutes with a range of like two to 10 minutes. When women, it can be anywhere from 20 to 45 when with a partner, why? Because we are often distracted. We're wondering how our body looks. Do we feel it look okay? How are we doing? Or we're thinking about something outside of the bedroom. Oh my gosh, I forgot to return that email, etc. So it takes women a lot more time to get in their bodies. And I think that's especially true in hookup sex because there's another piece I didn't address in the book that I've been thinking about lately. My students have been talking to me about that there's a feeling of lack of safety sometimes like, and we're seeing a lot of non-consensual choking during hookup sex and rough sex without consent. So there's, it's very hard to relax if you're worried about your safety as well. Where is that coming from? Well, a couple of reasons. So there's two types of fear, right? There's fear of the partner and there's fear of getting pregnant. And obviously in today's political climate, the fear of getting pregnant has really increased and that's decreasing women's enjoyment, certainly. And then we just, we know from a researcher, Debbie Herbenack has been documenting a lot of rough sex, non-consensual choking, et cetera. And what seems to be happening is, again, the problem of porn images without sex education and young men role modeling what they do on porn. In porn, women like being choked without being asked. And that is just not true in real life. And it's dangerous. Yeah. And it goes back to communication. So it's interesting, you know, you may have some nuances to add here, but there are like some specific questions around women feeling more empowered and able to communicate. So, you know, this is often about making the guy happy or having sexual expectations from society's attitudes towards women, things we see in porn, et cetera. You know, again, it's like feeling empowered to say, this is what I, I want, which is a lot of what you're saying here. But then we we can get to another extreme, which is what if the woman is in touch and then there's this fear of being selfish or feeling they require too much pleasure. So what about that other end? I don't think I don't think that exists. I think you know, there are selfish lovers, right, who are all about themselves and don't want to give pleasure to the other partner. That's not what I'm hearing from this question. I'm hearing I'm too much. I need too much pleasure. I need too much time. And the best sex, ironically, is when you are self, you want your partner to have pleasure, you're invested in their pleasure, you talk to them about what it takes. But when it's your turn, when you're getting pleasure, you just go with it. You're not too much, whatever. There is no such thing as too much. And in fact, there's a great book um, called Pleasure Activism, 
which talks about how embracing pleasure is a healing act of activism, especially for women. So I just would say, I think what you're bumping up against with that fear is of that, you know, women are supposed to be small and quiet and not demanding and not too much. But unless you're saying, I only want pleasure and I don't care if you have pleasure, if it's a mutual give and take, you're not too much and you take all the time you need. I love that. You know, um, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here and share this because I just think it's maybe, I mean, I hope it's helpful to have specific examples about communication. So I'm thinking of an instance where I was with this man and, um, you know, he gave me pleasure and then he was laying there and he was like twiddling his thumbs, looking at me and I'm like, what? And he's like, well, I mean, it's my turn now. And I looked at him, I'm like, hold on, is this quid pro quo? Like, this is not a checklist of I get one, you get one, you get three, I get three. Like, this is not, wait, what? And um, I was so angry. And he, and I just said to him, like, what a jerk he came across as. And he was like, oh my God, you're absolutely right. I'm such a jerk. And then I said, but I want to make you happy. Sometimes I'm scared because I don't know what you want. I don't know like if you don't explain it to me, I'm worried it's not going to be good enough. And so I need you to tell me what you need. And I'm more than happy to make you happy, but I don't always know what you need. So you also have to tell me, but you can't pull this ridiculousness of because I made you have an orgasm. Now it's my turn. Like that's not how we handle it. And he was just like, oh my goodness. And this was, I mean, it turned out to be a great relationship, but I just called him out. So I was like, no. Yes. And I'm so glad you shared that. It is not a quid pro quo. It's not a, so when I talk about turn taking, I'm talking about not like, okay, my turn, your turn. I mean, yes, maybe it looks like that, but it's more because both people want to give and receive pleasure, not because I owe you because you gave me. That's yes. very different. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's healthcare by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. So there's all these nuances of when is it a mismatch and when is it something that you both have to really learn? And I'm sure this is what you're seeing a lot with your clients. So yeah, and that's actually a big topic of my first book because, and I think before I answer that question, I want to kind of take a step back and say, this is probably the most important information besides their clitoris that women don't know. And that is in long-term relationships and as we age, our horniness decreases, our level of, I mean, it's just a natural change. And a lot of women stop being spontaneous, horn, spontaneously horny in long-term relationships. 
and they immediately think there's something wrong with the relationship rather than this is an a, a normative relationship change, an age-related change. But what people don't know is there's something called responsive desire or receptive desire, which is when you reverse the equation, you have sex to get horny rather than waiting to, horn, to be horny to have sex. There was a study where there, people were asked, why do you have sex? And they listed 237 reasons. And being horny was only one of them. And it wasn't even the top reason. Might be to be closer with the partner because you know it will be good when it gets going. So I have a lot of women who say, oh, I engage in duty sex. And I say, what does that mean? And they say, I do it when I'm not horny. And I say, is it good when it gets going? And they're like, yeah, it's great. And I'm like, if it's good when it gets going, it's not duty sex. It is duty sex if you're doing it and you don't want to. And it's not good when it gets going. So when people talk about dead bedroom syndrome, part of, sometimes it's just not knowing about responsive desire. Now, sometimes it's like the sex has gotten boring it isn't good when it gets going. It's never good. It's, it's painful, non-orgasmic. You know, it does feel like a chore. And that would be when I would tell someone to see a certified sex therapist and talk about it, communicate about it, especially if this is a partner you love and care for. Can you make it work? There are techniques sex therapists have but if not, then we know that a lot of reasons people do split up is sexual incompatibility. So what would you say, because I know we talked earlier about pornography and how it's creating a lot of myths about how women's bodies should look, about what sex should be like and misperceptions of what women actually enjoy versus what porn says they, they um, enjoy. have been alluding to some things that you are continuing to research and look into that may not have been covered in your books. What are some of those things that we should be aware of? I think I already covered the biggest one. And that is that, well, a couple things that, and I'm not anti-porn because I mean, the research shows there's some positive effects for some people watching it. There's small percentage of people have negative effects. But using it as a role model, I'm seeing more and more problems, especially among young people. I talked about non-consensual choking. We're also seeing anal sex initiated without any conversation or preparation, which is also dangerous, painful, injuring. So I really want to tell people, do not like educate yourself, follow sex therapists, sex educators, read books. Do not get your role modeling from pornography. What if someone engages in one of these activities during sex? What, what do we do? Well, I mean, say stop. If you haven't been given your consent, say stop. No, I have not given my consent for that. Stop that now. A lot of, I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't sexual violence. There is a lot of sexual violence that we know about. But what I'm talking about is young men thinking they're doing something pleasurable that's really aversive. Right. What would you say to women who would respond with logically, yes, I should say stop, but I'm like, I don't know what could go through their minds. Like, I'm not comfortable. It felt weird in the moment to say anything. 
um, or just any of the things where, of course, it, it seems logical to do it, but in it, it's Feel, not. Give your give yourself some grace. You've yeah. been socialized to not speak up. You've been maybe feeling afraid. That person is bigger and stronger. Maybe you were shocked. You had a shock response. And we know people have a, when they're afraid, they freeze. They, we always hear about fight or flight, but it's yeah. not. It's fight, freeze, or flight. So if you endured something and didn't say anything, it doesn't mean it was your fault. It means you understandably froze and give yourself some grace and forgiveness and love instead of con- condemnation. I love that. And I, I just wanted to walk through also, there is a chapter that you dedicated just for men to read. I'm very curious of the reaction you've gotten to that chapter because I did post to people, what if I titled this episode, all the things that the man in your life, um, obviously assuming heterosexual um, sex, should know about being a better lover? And some responded, they won't listen to it. So mm-hmm. um, I'd love to get your reactions to that chapter. Yeah, that chapter is called Clitoracy for Him. You don't have to have a clitoris to be clitorate. And it summarizes the whole book, communication, women's um, anatomy, and it covers some male sexual anatomy and problems and issues as well. And it's a shortened version. And I've actually gotten very positive feedback on it. And actually someone did a scientific study that showed what men who read it became better communicators, more well-versed in women's pleasure and let go of some damaging myths around their own sexuality. But you have to remember those were men who were reading it voluntarily. Yep. So, you know, I do have one, a couple of people who, similar to what you're saying, like I've sent the book home with clients and told their part, you know, give this to your partner to read. And a couple of times partners have like, I don't want to read it or one read it and was like, that's just one theory. You know, no, Ooh. I don't buy it. You know, my penis is central to your pleasure, even though she was telling him it wasn't. I'm happy to say that's an ex-partner. Um, and and um, some of that ex-ness, the ex being an ex-partner was due to that reaction. So I love this theory. There's a lot of theories about why women orgasm, like, cause we don't need it to get pregnant and all this. And there's like, like 20 different theories, but there's one feminist anthropological theory that says the reason women don't orgasm during intercourse is evolutionary adaptive because it teaches, we weed out partners that way, that a man who's going to be clitorate and care about your pleasure in the bedroom is going to be a better partner outside of the bedroom. Oh, I love that. I think that's the most fun information I've heard in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So many amazing changes happening in women's health. Like it is, it's truly amazing. And thank you so much for, for also writing your books and, you know, making this a part of what you're doing to, to help all of us. And thank you for what you're doing in this podcast and all the guests you interviewed. I'm honored to be among these amazing guests that you've interviewed and your work in spreading the word. So thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health Podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com. Drop us a message on social media or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.